we are in week two of a series called Resistible Religion, talking about kind of the things in religion, and specifically we're focusing on Christianity, that um, we should resist, that people resist about religion, people resist about Christianity, and we should too. Because often the things, often the things that people resist about the church, I'm talking like people in general, um, all of humanity resist about the church, generally speaking, it's been my experience that the church should resist those things too. Like last week, or two weeks ago, excuse me, we kind of took a break in there. Two weeks ago, we talked about um, one big thing uh, that the church should resist, and that was pride. Because pride has this tendency to push. It pushes us inward, so we kind of like block ourselves out from everyone else. We make ourselves bigger and better than everybody else, right? We, we uh, look in it from a place of judgment upon everybody else, pushes us inward. And in so doing, it also pushes God and others out, right? It pushes them away. It says, you're on the outside, I'm on the inside, and until I feel like you're an insider, I'm going to treat you like you're an outsider. And that has been something that religion in general and Christianity has struggled with for a very long time, even to today. The, today, the church um, has been called, we talked about this last week, you can always go on our app or our website to watch last week if you missed it, um, that the church has been known kind of as a country club, right? Insiders, outsiders, uh, known for the judgment. We talked about that. Uh, the church has been known for uh, be, being defensive or overly defensive on especially certain topics, hot button issues. The church is known as being very inflexible and curious. It, the church is known maybe more for talking than it is known for listening to what other people have to say and other perspectives. And, in the pa- and, and all of that comes from pride, honestly, in a way. And in the past, um, some of you are very familiar with church history, with Christian history. Their pride has led to some really terrible things like the Crusades. It has led to things like indulgences where like heaven was sold uh, for a price. And uh, it's been known for trials and, and many other, you know, really just simple failures. And in the middle of all of those failures, people resisted. People stood up and said, hey, I don't think this is what the church should be doing. It may have taken a few years to get there, but eventually someone spoke up, people spoke up, they protested it. It didn't always usually work out for those people at first, but eventually things kind of corrected a little bit, but it hasn't been a very, you know, straight path for Christianity. And a lot of those things that the world has resisted about Christianity, we should resist too. We should resist those old and past mistakes that have happened over the years. Now, one of the big reasons that I think um, there are things in Christianity that we should all, Christian or not, resist is because Christianity has been over the years altered and added to. Specifically, old things that have got added back in. And there's many reasons why, but I want to talk about how some of those old things have gotten added back in, and specifically how they have um, modified our Christian approach to, or our approach to Christianity. Specifically, we're going to look at one particular thing uh, in general. I'll get to that in just a second. But it's, and you've had these experiences, it's when you, you know, you got a really good thing going, and then someone came in, you know, and kind of messed it up a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, we had Jesus, and, we, you know, instead of saying, hey, what does Jesus say on a particular topic, or what does the Christ in Christian say on a particular topic, what did he say or teach or, or model, um, we say, hey, why don't we do it this way instead? It's kind of like if you're, if you're a soda drinker at all, it's kind of like when you have Coke, right? Very refreshing, 
sugar-filled soda, right? And Coke came out, and uh, it's had a long history, like well over 100 years, right? They took the cocaine out of Coke, which was probably a good move. Uh, But so far today, I think most of us, it may not be our preferred drink of choice, but we would say, hey, Coke is pretty good. But since then, there have been people sitting somewhere that have said, hey, we could maybe make Coke more interesting and different, maybe even better. We could add to it. And I would perhaps argue to you that it wasn't necessarily for the better. For example, when they came out with this particular version of Coke, it is orange vanilla. Yum. What could be better than mixing an orange with vanilla and putting it together in Coke? Am I right? I have an example that could be better. You know this candy. It's called candy corn. I'm going to be honest. Probably not too many of you really like candy corn, but for some reason it comes back year after year. And then they made it better. Oh, my friends, they made it better. They added something amazing to it. They came out with turkey dinner candy corn. Hold on. Let me read the description on the cover in case you can't see it. In this delicious candy treat, you will not only get green beans, roasted turkey, cranberry sauce, ginger glazed carrot, sweet potato pie, and my friends, stuffing. All in this bag. Can you imagine the joy that this will bring your family at Thanksgiving? Okay? Or my personal favorite that's very relevant to today, uh, because if I had to pick a soda, I'm not a huge soda guy, but if I had to pick, I would pick Pepsi. You have this very refreshing blue, shockingly blue, refreshing drink called Pepsi. And then someone had the brilliant idea that maybe we could add to Pepsi, we could modify Pepsi, and we could make it even better. And they came out with, I kid you not, if you haven't seen it, limited edition and this is a good thing that it's limited edition, Peeps. Peeps Pepsi, my friends. And it is your lucky day because I brought some. I know. Right here. It has little Peeps on it. (laughs) You know what, Becky? It's always Becky. I'll do it for you. Oh, boy. Mmm, it's really in the aftertaste, my friends. That's where it's at. Hey, Becky, you know what? I got one for you, too. Come on up here. Yeah. (laughs) You are so welcome. You just sit back down and drink that for a little while, okay? Boy, that, I honestly don't even get the Pepsi. It is something. Okay, so... You know my point being, so we're going to keep this analogy going for the rest of the morning, okay? Like, this was an okay thing, right? And then they took it and modified it. Wow, okay. That just has an aftertaste that keeps coming back. Okay. Yeah, really good that that's limited edition. Anyways, okay. So you're getting my point. We got something good. We add to it. We modify it. And we kind of take it away from its original intent, okay? So today... In religion in general, and specifically Christianity, I thought out of all the topics I could pick, I wanted to talk about something we don't talk a whole lot about here at Infuse, but I think it would be really helpful for today, and that is sacred, or what is sacred, or what is holy, okay? What is good? Now, holiness and sacred is essentially something that is, excuse me, it's coming back. (laughs) Wow. Should have thought about that before I did anything, Becky. Wow, I've never burped on stage in a message, but today is your lucky day. 
Okay. <clears throat> Let me tell you, this is not sacred or holy. Okay. In, uh, all right. So back on topic, sacred and holy. All right. You're set apart. You're, you're different than the rest of the world or you're like God or you're more like God. Okay. And so what we're going to do today is I'm going to take this kind of idea and show how it got added to and modified and how that impacts us today and how the, the implications of the fact that that has happened kind of messes with how we approach Christianity, how we approach faith today. And if you're not a Christian today, you're, this is going to maybe, you know, have some light bulb moments for you. And you're going to say, actually, I think this is part of the reason I haven't been to church for a long time or I've resisted church for a long time. And if you're Christian, this is really important for you to remember so that hopefully we can be more holy Christians going forward in the good sense of the word, okay? So holy, we're going to take it through kind of the, the uh, modification over the years of, of holiness. Um, and sacred matters, and the reason I want to talk about it is really, it is a foundational idea. What is holy, what is good, and, and what is God, essentially? Uh, if you understand what holy is or what good is, then you would hopefully behave accordingly to that, right? And if you misunderstand what sacred or holy is, then that could impact how you view the world and how you behave, um, whether, you're, honestly, you're Christian or not. Because think about this, if you're not even Christian or you go, heavens, Becky, I tell you, I know. Okay, just a pause break, just letting it all process. Okay, um, even if you're not Christian, let's be fair, if you go to a religious space, right, you're going to treat it with some degree of reverence. Why? Because it is perceived as sacred or holy. And you don't even have to believe in that religion to treat it with some degree of respect, right? Because holiness or what we consider holy or sacred then forces us or makes us behave differently or adjust our approach to it, okay? But how quickly, my friends, how quickly that, this word has gotten misinterpreted, misused, or added to over the years. So give you a little history. You got Jesus 2,000 years ago on the planet doing his amazing thing, okay? He comes. He's the fulfillment of the Jewish law and the prophets. Pretty much Jesus is the culmination of the Old Testament in our Bible. Um, he came. He taught disciples. He did amazing things, uh, and he died for our sins and, because he loved us, because God loved us so much. And then he was raised from the dead, which we're going to celebrate here on Easter in a couple weeks, and he told his disciples to go out and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so, for a few hundred years, Christians did that. They, they did what Jesus taught. It was the original Pepsi, okay? It was delicious, it was refreshing, and it had just the amount of caffeine that the world really needed to get it going, okay? And it was really good. And this was, mind you, in the midst of persecution and oppression from the rest of the world because the Roman Empire and the Jewish leaders, they, didn't, they wanted to stamp out Christianity. Um, but the Christians held firm more or less and did a really great job of being that goodness, that love, that Christ-likeness to the world. They did not mix Peeps and Pepsi, okay? And then in 313 A.D., the emperor Constantine I and another emperor called Licinius got together. Uh, There's a whole story. You can go read it online, Wikipedia it. Uh, they came together and they came up with the Edict of Milan 
because Christianity had grown to such uh, impressive heights. It was becoming very, very popular because of all the hard work and years and years of Christians um, treating people with respect and dignity and really changing the world, that they said, we are going to give freedom to all Christians. Christians can now freely live out their faith. And that was an incredible moment, I got to think, for most Christians to no longer have to live in fear, but to live out their faith freely. They were now free to gather and worship. They were free to feed the hungry, clothe the needy, give homes to the orphans and the widows, free to serve, not to be served, but to serve others, to share the good news of God to earth, um, and that there is life after death. And what an incredible moment. And so what did the Christians do with their newfound freedom? They got out the peeps. Okay, within less than 20 years, they started building big, massive, incredibly impressive buildings. Okay, this is an artist rendition. We don't have the original um, St. Peter's uh, Basilica in Rome, but this was an artist rendition of it uh, before they remodeled it. Most of you in this room are probably going to be much more familiar with the original version of St. Peter's Basilica. It looks like this. It's the same one that's standing today, and it is an incredible sight to behold. See what happened, though. Do you think they opened up their Bibles and they said, you know what, Jesus said, hey, why don't you Christians go out and build buildings in my name, buildings that make people think of me, a broke Jewish leader in the back country of Israel walking around for years in his sandals, teaching people, hanging out with the worst, the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, hanging out with all those people, and then dying a bloody, painful, suffocating death on a Roman cross for your sins and for the forgiveness of sins because God so loves you. I want you to take all those ideas, people, and just go build buildings and make people think of that when they look at those buildings. And this is what we have because that makes you think about Jesus, doesn't it? And I realize I might be pushing a little bit on your sensitivities, especially if you grew up in certain church traditions, but I think there's sensitivities that need a little pushed on. So quickly, Christians started declaring these spaces as sacred. They consecrated them in our hearts and our minds. And over the millennia that Christianity has now thrived, I can't imagine the trillions of dollars we have spent on sacred spaces. Now, I want, to hear, I want you to hear me clearly. There is no, nothing ethically or morally wrong with a building or a structure, okay? They're amoral. They have no good or bad. But what we've done with them in our hearts, that is ultimately the question. Because it didn't just end with buildings. It went on. And what Christianity started to do, as quickly as they were free to do it, was borrow from a long history of other religions and its predecessor, Judaism, to then make things sacred. And what quickly happened is we started developing sacred places. We started elevating and venerating sacred men, and it was always men, let's be fair, and sacred texts or items or oracles or icons or things like that. And we, we took those and we venerated them to such high levels and what happened is the closest place that you could be to God in Christianity would be in those sacred places. And then it just so happened that those sacred places were con controlled by sacred men. 
And those sacred men would then interpret the sacred text and tell you if you were good or bad or where you were in the grand scheme of things, and you better not question that. Why? Well, because they were sacred men. And I know for some of you, you're like, gosh, that that feels so familiar. Like, it, it felt maybe like my childhood a little bit. Are we really that far from that? No, we're not. We've a little bit pulled from traditional religion into our Christianity. Like if you go to most um, uh, archaeological digs or uh, now what you would maybe consider maybe more mud hut parts of the world, what are you going to find in those general religions? You're going to find what? A sacred space or place or temple or something. You're going to find sacred men who lead that, right? The, The village elder, witch doctor, shaman, or whatever it may be, or priest, okay? And then they're going to have those sacred items. And you better respect that. In polytheism, if, if more commonly like Zeus, right? And Roman gods, uh, the pantheon of gods, right? What, what was the key things in there? They were sacred places, sacred temples, sacred men, which controlled it and told you how you had to live it out based on X, Y, Z. And even in our Jewish origins, that's what you had. You had a sacred space, sacred men, and sacred text. But then what's weird is then that's where Jesus comes along. And Jesus was like the culmination of all of that. And Jesus taught a totally different way. Just Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was the final sacrifice. There would be no more animal sacrifice, right? There would the, the most sacred space that you could be was not the temple anymore. If you remember, if you you know, grew up reading your Bible and stuff, the veil of the temple was torn in two. God was free. God was no longer in one space. He was going out to be available for all people. And then Jesus took women and he elevated women to a a place of authority and responsibility to share the good news of Christ to the rest of the world that had never been done before. And then regarding our sacred texts, it wouldn't be for another 30 years or 70 years after the Edict of Milan, so about 400, just shy of 400 AD, um, when we start to actually get a Bible, a version of the Bible that's actually fairly similar to ours. It was, it's not exactly what ours is today, no, not at all, but it was one of the more first versions. That came 70 years after Christianity became a legally accepted religion in the Roman Empire. Because why? Well, because Christians pre-300 AD, pre-100 Edict of Milan, had each other. And they had letters from church leaders. And you know what's even crazier? They had people who actually saw the resurrected Jesus. So if, and, and then they saw him, and their hearts were filled by the Holy Spirit, and they said, listen, Jesus like lives in me. I personify Jesus. He does incredible things in my life, and they themselves were a testimony. If you would have gone to them like 2,000 years ago and said, hey, here in the Bible, it says Jesus rose from the dead, they would have said, I know. I was there. I saw it. I don't, I don't need a Bible to tell me. I saw it. It happened. It was an event It wasn't a story in a book. It was a thing that happened, and it changed my life. I was a witness to it. I saw the sacred part of Christianity, the event itself. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that power and that goodness, 
What did Christians do? They continued to pull back into sacred men, sacred places, and sacred texts. And in the middle of that, that's where people like Peter, like we read last week, and Peter, like we'll read again this week, tried to step in and say, hold on, hold on. In one of those letters that, that I just referenced, Peter says, hey, we got to keep it down to the basics. You guys are getting too lost. You're getting too distracted. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of reasons for you to be tempted to you know, hide in your buildings or, or go different directions or, or try to do things like we used to do in the past, but we can't do that. What did he say last week? He said, we can't make it difficult for those who are turning to God. That's what he said last week. This week, he's going to talk about and define what sacred is. And spoiler alert, what sacred and holy is didn't have too much to do with sacred places, sacred men, and sacred items or texts or whatever. He had something else in mind. So uh, we're going to read from 1 Peter today. Um, it might have been his first letter. Who knows? It was one of his letters that made its way through history. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Therefore, he's talking to the Christians, so I'm talking to you, prepare your minds for action. Um, and that is... Uh, in Hebrew, it's essentially the, the literal phrase is, okay, Christians, tie up your robes and your belts. That's if you literally read it, not in Hebrew, sorry, in ancient Greek. He said, pick up those robes and put them in your belts. And that made sense to them. It doesn't make sense to us. Okay? Well, what that meant was, hey, we're going to get our hands dirty. We're going to get to work, and your robes are going to get in the way. So our version of that is roll up your sleeves. That's what he's saying. Hey, therefore, Christians, roll up your sleeves and keep sober in spirit. In other words, stay focused. Don't let things distract you. Don't let things dull your senses. Set your hope completely, not somewhat. Set your hope not on your building or your places or anything like that. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, roll up your sleeves. This is going to be a bit of work. If you really want to have a wholesome, complete, and focused faith, you, faith, you got to stay focused on Jesus, period. No exceptions, no additions, just focus on Jesus. But as Christians, oh man, we weren't really good at that. So we got distracted. We got distracted. He didn't stop there either. He said, oh, Think about it this way. Think about it as if you're children, okay? As obedient children, okay? You actually listen to your mom and your dad, okay? You don't know everything. You're still a child. You're learning. You're trying to figure it out. But imagine when you were a child. Exist as if you were an obedient child. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. When you lived as if you didn't know any other way. When you lived as, uh, as others lived or your past others or maybe you were a pagan at some point, don't, don't live like that. Live like you now know Jesus. In other words, live like you were drinking the original Pepsi, okay? Because as a kid, you looked and you saw, oh my gosh, those peeps, they're so cute and brightly colored and they're marshmallows. <gasps> they're marshmallows, we got to get mom, dad, we got to get the, you know what would be even yummier, mom and dad, is if I took those peeps and I put them in a Pepsi can and I drank it. <gasps> That's going to be delicious. And Peter's saying, no, 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 it's not. And as a good parent, you would say what to your kids? No, it's not going to be good. 
And if you're wondering, have a drink after service, okay? Right? What would an obedient child do? A obedient child would go to their parent and they would say, hey, mom or dad, is this a good idea if I should mix these things together and get a little, something over here and a little over there and all this stuff? And, and, and Peter's like, no, it, it would not be good. Don't do that. And why is an obedient child would say, oh, okay, mom and dad, you've lived a little bit. You have some knowledge that I don't have. I'm gonna do that. Peter said, live like an obedient child to Christ, him, period, no additions, no modifications, just Jesus. Because when you do that, you will experience what it means to be sacred, what it means to be holy, as he goes on. Um, But just as he who is called holy, just as Jesus or God who is called holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. God is sacred, God is holy, and you too can be sacred and holy because of him. There's going to be lots of distractions, lots of things that you're going to try to do because they make you more comfortable. And I think part of the reason why we've continually tried to add all these other things in is because we want to be comfortable. It's a lot more comfortable to go to church in a building that you know. Let's be honest, okay? If you're on our setup team here on Sundays, you know it would be a lot easier if you didn't have to walk in and set this all up on Sundays. It would be, right? It's about three and a half tons of equipment that gets set up on a, on a Sunday morning and then torn down and get put away every single week. It'd be a lot more comfortable if you didn't have to do that, right? So don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. He goes on, if you read the rest of the chapter, on perishable things, things like money and fancy things. But we do, personally, we do it all the time. You don't have to think sacred, right? It doesn't take much for you to look at that new shiny car, that new shiny item, or that new shiny job, or that new bigger, better title, and, and look at it and say, that's what will make the difference in my life. If I had that, I would feel better. I would feel, let's be honest, I'd feel a little more sacred. I'd feel, feel a little better about myself. I'd be maybe even a little bit better than other people. I'd be a little more special because I had that thing and I got that thing and I have that income or whatever it may be. We do that all the time and we do that in faith, in a religion too. Christians see big buildings. And what is our hearts? What do we get distracted with? We, we don't see a big building. We see what? We see power. We see influence. We see success. We see money. We see a platform in which maybe we could stand up and be seen and heard and be elevated. Or maybe for some of us, we see a crowd that we can hide in. We can check the box, but we don't really have to be seen. We don't see a church and we say, hey, could I better get to know Jesus there? When you church shop and you look around and you're exploring, is is your first question, hey, do you think I could get to know Jesus better there like Paul said I should do? Often it's not. Because unfortunately, as shiny and as fandangled and as great as some churches may be, it doesn't mean it's going to transform you. That job doesn't mean it's going to transform you. It could transform you in a bad way. You're not going to find redemption and new life in some of these things that Christians have traditionally put a lot of stake in. Because we miss the point. Who's holy? God. Who else is holy? You. Why? Because God, the creator, the father in heaven said so. He said, 
You should get to know my son, Jesus. Peter goes on. He says, in coming to him, Jesus, think of him as a living stone, a foundation. But he was rejected, right? He, he was the good, good shepherd. He was the, the savior. He was rejected by the people. He was crucified for that. But in God's sight, God said he's, he's precious. He's the choice. And so are you. You also can be like a living stone. And especially when you all collectively are built together, stone on top of stone, interconnected, together you can form a spiritual house, i.e. a temple. And together you can be a holy priesthood. Peter's saying, you want to know the most sacred, holy thing that's out there? It's not buildings. It's not sacred men. It's you. It's when people who are focused on Jesus come together, that is the temple. Together you build the temple. Whether you're in a building or not, it doesn't matter. Together you are collectively my priests. What are priests? They're, they're ambassadors to God, to the world. Together you are my priests. Together you are holy and precious. Together, that's what you are. You. I mean, if you want to know what is most sacred to God, look at who God, through Christ, or who, through Jesus, gave his life for. You. You. You may not feel it. You may not yet believe it. But this is the heart the separator, the difference maker in Christianity is that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's such an overused, but because it is so true verse. Didn't come to condemn you, came to save you. Why? Because you are sacred in the sight of God. The things that are holy are God above you and the use beside you. Those sitting next to you. You may not like the use sitting next to you, but it doesn't change their value and their sacredness to God. But we struggle as Christians to think about that because to us, the most holy, the most sacred thing is our buildings or our spaces or our Sunday attendance. It's about how big our church is or isn't. When in reality, the most sacred thing is God, his people, and how they're connected together by love. Together, we are the body of Christ. Together, the spirit dwells within us and we make the temple. Your body is a temple. You heard that maybe growing up in church or Sunday school. It's a temple. Why? Because God wants to reside there. That's the temple. Jesus changed the paradigm completely. Completely. So let me ask you, what is sacred in your heart? What has been sacred in your heart? And this is a difficult inward, you got to like dig deep a little bit, but when you have looked at religion, when you have looked at Christianity, what have you considered sacred? And it is, is it the same as God? Like do God and you share the same version of sacred? Do you? The places where we get together can't have meaning. Let's be honest. Um, next year, I'm hoping we can do a trip to, to, to Israel, and people here can come along, sign up to come along. Um, and I'm going to tell you, when, when I went to Israel, it's powerful to go to some of those most sacred places. It's cool. But what's cool 
is not the place. What's cool is what happened in that place. The statement that, that maybe God made in that place. One of the most powerful for me was a place that I wasn't expecting. There was a church building right there, but it was uh, on the Sea of um, Galilee. And it was the moment when Peter and G- Jesus ro- rose from the dead, and he had breakfast with Peter and some of the guys on the beach. And um, I don't, I can't fully explain what was so overwhelming to me because I was like sitting there crying. It's like, really, Taylor, you cry? <laughs> I know. I was sitting there, just kind of like crying on the beach. And uh, I, I think it had a lot to do with the fact that I resonated so much with Peter that, you know, Lord, a lot of my life, I have not been faithful. I have not done what you've called me to do. And yet, just like Peter, who denied you. I mean, he said to Jesus, I don't know who that guy is. Like, walked away from Jesus in Jesus' time of need. That's Peter. And what did Jesus do? He said, go, go feed my sheep. Love my people. Take care of them. I'm putting you in charge, Peter. And it's like, what? I don't deserve that. It's like, maybe not, but I love you, Peter, and I know you're capable of it. I believe in you, and I want you to go change the world, Peter. Change the world in my name. And, it, and that happened in a place, but it wasn't the place that made it so credible to me. It was the love that Jesus showed for Peter in that place that made it so sacred and holy. I hope that makes sense. The Bible, the Bible is God's story. It is a holy story. It is good for teaching and correcting, but it's holy because it happened. It's holy because it happened. I don't love your guys' birth certificates. I love you. Do you understand? I get that you have a birth certificate that says what happened and when it happened and that you came into this world, but I don't love your birth certificate. I love the person that the birth certificate tells me about. Do you understand what's holy in that? We should respect those who God has called into leadership. I agree. But we should not value a child of God over another child of God. All believers make up the body. I am just playing a simple role in the body. Yes, it gives me a microphone. Yes, it gives me a platform. I agree but it doesn't make me any more or less valuable. We are all temples of God that walk and talk and are sacred and precious in his sight. I just wonder, you know, from a practical perspective, I wonder if we all as Christians, if Christians in general, just imagine tomorrow, if all the Christians decided and held in so high regard that people were the temples of the living God if we would treat each other differently. If some of those hot button Christian issues that Christians, oh, Christians get so angry about, and they yell, and they scream, and they make signs about. If they would be so angry, if they actually looked at the people they were yelling and bringing down and hating on, if they looked at them as temples of the most God, or they may do the thing that they do when they walk into church, where they dress up a little bit, and they're quiet, and they're respectful. If you wouldn't yell at a church, yet you'd yell at someone, you got it backwards. You're missing holiness. You're missing sacredness. We have to collectively resist the temptation to add to what is already good and holy. Add to that. To see sacredness as God sees sacredness. 
My friends, I just think if we did that, there would be a whole lot less resistible about the church. And when we get holiness and we get sacredness and what is sacred and what is holy wrong, we would collectively try to figure it out. We would be curious. We would be patient. We would be kind. Why? Because we're dealing with the most sacred thing on earth, which is our brothers and sisters. Yes, our God is holy. And yes, we may have some sacred things that we venerate, we hold in high regard. But let's hold in high regard what God holds in high regard, what God through his son died for. Let's be that kind of a Christian. Let's be that kind of a church. Let's be a holy one. You would bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us. Lord, help us to be obedient children. For those of us who call you our Father in heaven, who call Jesus our Savior, Lord, help our hearts to soften, to be receptive to your values, Lord. Not be distracted and contained and in bondage to our anger or our bitterness or our hate or our fear of others, but that we would be in bondage to your love and your righteousness and your goodness that, that shackles us to this truth that we cannot or dare not run from, that your people, your children are sacred as you are sacred. Your children are holy as you are holy. And that we would be Christians that get that right. Before we raise our hand towards someone or frown our face towards someone or judge someone, which we are so quick to do, we would be far quicker to realize the love you have for those individuals. just as your son had love for some of the most broken, shattered, imperfect people in this world. And yet, your son would treat those very same people as family, as valuable, as so worthy that he would give his life for them. When we come eyeball to eyeball, with others, Lord. Help us to see them as you see them and love them accordingly. And Lord, for those of us who maybe struggled with Christianity, have resisted Christianity, and probably for good reason, that maybe today is a day where we start to see a God that defines sacred and holy in perhaps a way we haven't experienced. And Lord, that maybe today is the starting point for those individuals to take a step forward and saying, that is the God through his son that I want to follow, that I want to have faith in, that I want to trust. I want those values to be my values. The world needs those, and I want to bring them to the world. Why? Because just as you, Lord, love the world, Lord, help me to love the world like you. Help me to love you as you love me. And in that, that is a sacredness. 
forged in love that we can be transformed by. Lord, we all have steps to take. We are broken and perfect people, but help us take steps collectively as a church towards that. Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the words of Peter and his faithfulness so that we can learn this. Let it mold us and grow towards that. Lord, we pray this in your son, Jesus' name. Amen.